Friends, in just a couple of weeks, we are going to be returning to First Peter. I was excited to see Pastor Dave took one of the passages while we were away, and we had uh, got to see online the wonderful uh, visit from Lindell and Paolo and uh, Terry Fawson, our regional minister, last week. But it's just not the same as being here with you this morning. Uh, I want to share together with you a message from uh, Scripture. On the theme of Palm Sunday, uh, we uh, visit that passage uh, as we'll go by it, but it's not the only passage we're going to be in today. Because the reality is, something that uh, is borne out for each one of you, the best part of any extended trip or journey is coming home. You come home not only to your home, where you live, the bed that suits your back, the food that suits your diet, all of your regular uh, routine, but you come home to family. You come home to people that you care about. And that was a special thing on the trip that we just took as well, that after three years, more than three years absence because of COVID and border restrictions, we were able to reestablish in-person relationships. That was the best part of the trip, the very best part. Now, don't get me wrong. 8,000 kilometers were traveled. Barbecues were lit. Briskets were consumed. Multitude chickens and pizzas gave their lives for our pleasure. But the best part of the trip was family. Family. My dad, my sister, my brother's families, nieces and nephews, uh, great nieces and nephews who have changed so much in three years. Some of them weren't even here, but others just pop and grow so fast. It's just amazing to see You shut your eyes, it seems, and they're gone so quickly. They grow so fast. Those of us who are grandparents realize how quick those years of the kids being young with you at home go by. And I encourage young family builders, as hectic and as hard as it is, to take time to cherish it. Well, not only did we touch base with uh, individuals, but there were a couple occasions when we were in enormous multitudes. One of them was, as I said, Interstate 35 in Texas, nicknamed by me the Devil Road, because this there is no rush hour. It's always bad. It's always bad. Sometimes it's eight lanes of chaos, and sometimes they crowd you down into these little chutes with concrete barriers and inches on either side of your car, and you drive bumper to bumper at 80 or 90 miles an hour. It grows your faith. That's why Texas is full of churches. I'm convinced of it. Well, not only the Devil Road was a crowded place, but Faye and I had an opportunity to go up and cheer on our beloved Calgary, no, Edmonton Oilers. Don't, I just, I love my Flames friends here. The Edmonton Oilers, we got to see the Oilers play the Dallas Stars. And you know, you pay $100, $120 to go to the Saddle Dome or Rogers Place. We got the tickets for $20 each. And uh, it's amazing how cheap it is. And we found out the Dallas Stars fans are insane and they're and they're they're loud and they're they're violent and they're not like canadian fans you know if if our guys do well it's like a golf clap and we think we're too knowledgeable of the game you know the texas fans i don't know when they start drinking but they are ready to rock when the game starts and their chants and screams and when the oilers were leading the game it got a little uncomfortable in our section uh, one man with a luchadore mask next to my brother, he was so angry, he started punching the seat my brother had paid a ticket for. And so my brother, let's scoot one seat down. So, <laughs> And uh, 
but God was good. The Oilers lost the game. The stars came back. And I'm convinced God did that so we could escape alive, you know? (laughs) Because after the game, the same man who was violent and smashing our seats, he shook our hands. Thank you for a good game. It was wonderful. (laughs) It's good to be home. And you know, uh, one Sunday, my brother and I got to go to see NASCAR, the, their road course at Circuit of Americas in, outside of Austin. And I've still, I've, like Marlon, he at least has an honest explanation for his hearing loss. Well, the tractor blew up underneath me, you know, when that battery exploded. But mine was, you know, we paid good money to lose our hearing, to go to a NASCAR race. And, uh, but it was an amazing thing to be there with between 50 and 100,000 people with excitement, expectation that there was going to be noise and, and fast cars, 40 of them roaring around the track, over 800 horsepower each, deafening, deafening loud things. But it was so exciting and so much fun. But once again, all of those crowds didn't didn't compare to the individual visits. In our passages today, we are going to see Jesus encountering people in crowds and one-on-one. And I think God includes all of those because it speaks to the fact that God wants to know each of us, not just in a crowded situation, but personally as well. One thing Jesus did, among all the others, is when you met Jesus, it revealed your heart. It revealed your heart. I say that on the basis of Luke chapter 2. Jesus, the baby, Jesus, born in Bethlehem, now taken to Jerusalem, up onto the Temple Mount, to be dedicated to God. And while he was there, his parents were shocked that two senior saints, Simeon and Anna, both took Jesus in their arms and prophesied about him. And part of what Simeon said is especially noticeable. It said, Beginning in verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. The thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Then he told Mary, a sword will pierce your own heart and soul too. And I believe that spoke of the incredible grief that she experienced standing at the foot of the cross as her firstborn bled out his life's blood for us. But the hearts of many would be revealed when they encountered Jesus. I've called today's message just that, encountering Jesus. And on Palm Sunday, a festive day as the people, uh, Melody chose wisely today in reading from Psalm 118 because that was one of the ascent psalms that when the pilgrims went up to Jerusalem for the Passover, they sang a cycle of psalms from the book of Psalms. And one of them was Psalm 118. And you see reference there that they are to take their branches, the boughs of trees, which are palm branches, that's hence Palm Sunday gets its name, and in procession they would sing and celebrate and sing this psalm, sing Hosanna. Palm Sunday, Jesus comes into town 
In fulfillment of Zechariah 9, 9, he is riding on the foal of a donkey humbly as the king, a humble king, entering into Israel, fulfilling a messianic prophecy. And for the first time in his ministry, he is out in the open, where in the past we have seen him. People, he's telling them, keep this to yourself, keep it quiet, don't tell anyone about me, just go on. Now he's out in the open. People have called this his triumphal entry. And yet Jesus never gives himself fully to the crowd. In fact, partway through this, he pauses and he weeps over Jerusalem because though he wants to wrap his arms around them and protect them and save them as a mother hen clutches its young under its wings, they reject him. And he knew in his heart that this crowd would reject him as well. So that's the first group we want to look at encountering Jesus. And it is a crowd, like the crowds Faye and I met in Texas. Palm Sunday, a crowd. And yet this crowd, through their, through their words and actions, revealed their hearts. They had hopeful hearts. Hopeful hearts. The hopeful hearts were by their words, by their actions, throwing their festive branches in honor before Jesus. Their cloaks their outer garments were thrown on the path that his donkey would walk on them in honor of Jesus. They honored him because they were hopeful that he would be their Messiah, the long-awaited king, the son of David, to save them, to save them from their enemies. And to them, their enemies were political, the Roman occupiers, physical Jesus was known to be a great healer. All of the things that we want deliverance from, they were hopeful that Jesus would meet those hopes. We read about that in Matthew chapter 21 of the different accounts of Palm Sunday. I'll begin reading in verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that follow shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. They were so hopeful. Those Galilean pilgrims had seen him in action, healing, casting out demons, teaching and preaching with authority that none of the human teachers they went to had. His inner circle saw him calm the waves, turn water into wine. They saw him feed the 5,000. This is the Messiah. That was their hope. He is going to deliver us from our enemies. The crowd revealed their hopes. And yet, very quickly, they turned on Jesus. Five short days between the triumphant entry on Palm Sunday and Good Friday, where before the Roman governor, they cried for Jesus' execution. What happened? Well, we know from those days, Jesus taught in the temple. He went about normal things that he did. 
But as Jesus came before them that day, on Good Friday, he was beaten. He was humiliated. He did not look the part of the triumphal king. The one they had put their hopes in disappointed them. Because God was sending the king of the kingdom of God, the king of kings. And to save us not from the Romans, but from our sins, a much greater need. Well, that's not what they were looking for. And you know when people are disappointed, they react badly. Whether it's a little one at a birthday party who doesn't get what they want. You know, you can look at the videos of kids on Christmas morning. Some of the most horrible tears are shed when they don't get what they expected. Well, that's in a sense what we see in Matthew chapter 27. As Jesus, humiliated, is brought before the crowd. They've chosen a murderer and a thief, Barabbas, to be freed rather than Jesus. And so Pilate is left with Jesus on his hands. He asks in verse 22, What shall I do then with Jesus, who's called the Christ? Pilate asked. And they answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Pilate asked. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. Disappointed hope. Oh, in that moment, they... They revealed their hearts, didn't they? Well, that's a crowd. Let's look at a couple instances before our fellowship meal of people individually like you and I encountering Jesus, not just in a group setting, but individually as well. The first we look at is Nicodemus, a great teacher of the Jews, likely one of the Pharisees, a member of the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus, I believe he reveals he has a seeking heart. He is sincere when he comes to Jesus. He's hopeful as well that Jesus is perhaps messianic, but he's not sure. Nicodemus is a teacher of the Bible. He knows his Bible well, and he comes to Jesus. John chapter 3, we see that familiar story of Nicodemus, fearful of what others might think of him, this respected teacher coming to this new rabbi on the scene. What would people think? We begin reading there. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin, who later put Jesus on trial for death. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who's come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Jesus cuts to the chase and confronts Nicodemus. He doesn't parse words with him. He confronts that he needs spiritual life, spiritual birth. And Nicodemus, I believe in that encounter with Jesus, his seeking heart becomes a believing heart. A few chapters later, we see Jesus at the Temple Mount and the ruling council is indignant and they they are angry with Jesus. And we see Nicodemus speaking up and defending Jesus. And then they insult him. What are you, just a Galilean, like hillbilly, like Jesus is? They, They tear him down. So he's quiet. But his actions reveal his heart because at the end of Good Friday as the 
sun goes down and the Passover's beginning. They have to get his body off the cross. And who goes to fulfill that difficult task? But two members of the Jewish ruling council who have access to Pilate and other leadership and they go for Jesus' body. Who are they? We read in John 19, beginning in verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. The man who earlier had visited Jesus at night, Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. That was in custom with Jewish burial customs. Nicodemus because we're not familiar with their customs, we often skip right over that. We're happy to see Nicodemus is now a follower of Jesus. Like Joseph, likely kept his faith to himself. In fact, his name has become a descriptive word. If you are a person who keeps your faith to yourself to avoid persecution, you are called a Nicodemus believer. No, I don't believe that's God's will for us. We want to live out in the open. But there have been through church history many times where Christians, because of persecution, have had to keep their faith a personal matter by and large. Nicodemus believers. But what did Nicodemus do there? Well, he supplied, Joseph supplied the tomb. Nicodemus supplied the burial spices. A normal Jewish burial in the first century was expensive expensive burial spices, the myrrh and so forth. Very expensive. And that's why a normal burial, one pound. One pound. One of the great Jewish rabbis of the first century, in fact, he was the, he was the mentor of Saul of Tarsus, who we'll see in just a moment. His name was Gamaliel. He's mentioned in Scripture and he speaks in Scripture. Gamaliel was buried with 40 pounds of spices, extravagant respect shown to him. Compare that with Nicodemus spending his entire personal fortune for 75 pounds of burial spices. Incredible, incredible respect and reverence for Jesus at that moment. Jesus reveals our hearts, the seeking heart, becomes a saved heart well many people don't seek in fact when you run into people day and day you run into some people with pretty hard hearts they remind you of the parable of the soils their hearts are like asphalt so hard that if you try to sow the seed of god's love and the good news the seeds seem to bounce off of them they have their defensive shields up jesus met a person like that and revealed her heart Of course, I'm talking about the Samaritan woman as Jesus and his disciples were traveling through Samaria, a place that they were not welcome in at all. And the Samaritan woman revealed that she had a defensive heart. She is one of the most modern people in Scripture because we live in a day and age 
of division and hatred. We are being divided by our media, by leadership, by politicians, along so many lines. We're being divided as people and taught to hate the people on the other side, whether it be national lines like the Russian-Ukraine war, political lines, left side, right side of the political aisle. We're being divided along racial lines. Martin Luther King, just this past week, was the anniversary of his death in Memphis, Tennessee. And Dr. King believed that the color of your skin was not the defining factor of who you were. It was the content of your character. He has been rejected by so many people and they've replaced it with critical race theory, teaching the only important thing about you is the color of your skin. We live in such a divisive, hating, rejecting age, religious, cultural ethnic divisions. The list goes on and on. This is the Samaritan woman. She lives in a town that has historical divisions with the Jews. When people were taken into captivity, some were left behind. Generally, the poor people, the poor Jews were left. They intermarried with Gentiles, which was verboten against the rules. So when the Jews returned from captivity, they had nothing but hatred and rejection for the Samaritans. They were, they were uh, people who had just taken the easy way out, more or less. They had religious divisions. You worship in Jerusalem. We worship on this mountain. They had so many, so many divisions. Much less this woman showing by coming alone in the middle of the day for her water and her background, which Jesus discerned. There were moral divisions. She saw herself as immoral, unworthy, rejected by her society. She comes to Jesus and her heart, as defensive as it is, is revealed. John chapter 4, John chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. Jacob's well was there where they were traveling. Jacob's well was there and Jesus tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. That's about three in the afternoon, the heat of the day. No, the sixth hour, that's noon, height of the sunshine. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. We know how that conversation, that crucial conversation continues. Jesus reveals, not only does he know everything about her, but he still offers her living water. He opens his heart and his grace to her. And he, a Jewish man, by his dress, likely revealing that he was a teacher of Judaism, to even speak to a woman a Samaritan woman, a rejected, immoral woman. Jesus broke all the barriers 
no divisions. He loved her just the same. And this woman, we know she turned into one of the amazing little missionaries of scripture because we look all the way down chapter four she goes to town she tells everybody about jesus and the whole town turns out verse 28 of john four then leaving her water jar the woman went back to town and said to the people come see a man who told me everything i ever did could this be the christ and they came out of town and made their way toward him jesus broke down the walls the fence of heart laid bare. And Jesus loved her just the same. Just the same. Well, we've seen a seeking heart, a defensive heart. And we finish with Saul of Tarsus. I didn't know how to characterize Saul's heart. Saul. Saul, a persecutor of the church. I believe one word you can use is passionate. Saul of Tarsus, a passionate heart. You could also say he had a violent heart, breathing murder, agreeing with the execution of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. You might say he had a legalistic heart. Saul felt he had completely obeyed the law of God. He had no concerns. Pharisee of the Pharisees, as far as keeping the law, faultless. All of that, he overlooked the great sin in his heart and life justified his murderous actions and intentions by zeal for God. And then he met Jesus. Then he met Jesus. And the reality of his heart was revealed. The last encounter for this morning is Acts chapter 9, first six verses. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. This is after the death of the death of uh, Stephen. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that was the early way to refer to Christianity prior to even having the name Christians applied to us. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They were followers of the way. Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do do in acts chapter 22 and acts chapter 26 saul now known as paul the apostle gives his testimony of this account and it's a little lengthier as luke writes the book of acts he hits the high points <laughs> jesus speaks with saul at length on the road of who he is but saul's passionate zealous heart for god was shaken because his question to Jesus was, who are you, Lord? Who is this Lord that I profess to serve? He's Jesus, the very Jesus that I have rejected as a false teacher and have put to death his followers as heretics. 
in that instant, like a flash of lightning, Saul sees that his heart, which he was so proud of, the Pharisee of the Pharisees, he was a murderer, guilty of innocent blood. He was a false teacher. He was a heretic. He'd rejected the Lord's anointed, the Messiah, the very Son of God. He disappears now for years as he goes into the Arabian desert to work through what it means that Jesus is Lord. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus. Something that we all need to think about in our own lives. He does that. Years later, as he's writing to Timothy, his beloved disciple who he raised up as a son in the faith, Paul, reflecting back on his conversion, unlikely conversion as a persecutor of the church, he hit on one of the reasons why Jesus met him in that encounter on the way to Damascus. He says in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now we look at all these people today. Some of you here may be thinking to yourself, this is great. I love coming to church. Nice people. But I could never belong at the heart level. These people don't know me. They see my face. They don't know my heart. Paul says otherwise. Paul says he is the chief of sinners. Murderous. Destroyer of the church. If Jesus loved him and died on the cross for him and saved him, you're going to be a piece of cake. (laughs) It's an amazing story. All of these people, I put myself in these stories, as should you. Think back to when you first met Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, think about the encounter with Jesus. Maybe you were driving across the dark prairies and you heard a pastor speaking on the radio. Maybe you were in Sunday school when it dawned on you that Jesus died for you and you needed to ask Him into your heart. Somewhere along the way, you had an encounter with Jesus. And your heart became a heart of faith, a believing heart. But friend, the reality is those encounters are limited. Hear me. They are limited. Some of us go along thinking, yeah, that's, that's good. And maybe when I'm old, you know, if, on my last legs or even on my deathbed, then I'll trust Jesus. But those type of situations rarely, if ever, come around. Each one of us have a certain number of encounters with Jesus. Certain number of times where we hear the message clearly that God so loved the world that he gave his only son for you. 
And that Jesus lived a perfect life being fully God and fully human. And when he died on the cross, he bore your sin there so that when you put your faith in him and what he did for you, you will be saved. Not just saved from your sin, but given a new heart and dwelt with the Holy Spirit and made part of the family of God. Today's one of those encounters, if you're listening. And for all I know, it could be your last. It honestly could. I remember years ago attending one of the great Bible camps, one of the great Bible camps in North America, Hume Lake Bible Camp in the Redwood National Forest up in the Sierra Nevadas. Beautiful. But they had a history of tragedy because a young camper who had heard a gospel message in the morning went swimming in the lake that very afternoon and drowned. And those closest to him said, no, he had shrugged off the gospel message thinking that there would always be another chance. And let me tell you, when they share that with kids, kids take it to heart. We adults have a lot of armor and defensive abilities, but we took it to heart as kids. None of us have tomorrow as a guarantee. So friends, today as we finish this service, enjoy the fellowship meal. Enjoy the family of God. But if you know in your heart that you're not part of that family at this point, and you want to pray with somebody to receive Jesus as your Savior, that still small voice whispering in your ear, that's God's voice. Don't reject it. The people on Palm Sunday had such an opportunity, but five days later they cried out for Jesus to be crucified. These opportunities don't come along every day. So, talk to myself or somebody else. We'd love to pray with you. Friends, at this time, I'm going to pray briefly as the worship team comes. They have a final song. And then I'm going to pray again. I'll come right back up here and pray for lunch because we go over in waves and we can't all be waiting for the very last person to evacuate this building and go next door while we're waiting to eat. We're going to go next door and be able to get in line because we've already prayed for the meal. We'll do that right after this closing song. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just pray that the message today would not be the words of wisdom from just another speaker, another person, but Lord, your spirit would speak to us from your word, the Bible, about our hearts and our relationship with you. Lord, the people on Palm Sunday had a joyous, hopeful encounter with Jesus, but it was hopeful only. It wasn't saving. Lord, help us to break out from the crowd and have a personal encounter with Jesus. Help us to come to the foot of the cross and see that his love was for us. I pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.